Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. So everybody, uh, I want to speak to you uh, on what has been the theme this year, which is Wisdom Builds the House. Wisdom builds the house. Uh, and that's been our theme from the start of the year. And I'm going to speak to you today on the message, wisdom that brings about the miraculous. Wisdom that brings about the miraculous. Because I don't know if you know this, but you're meant to be having miracles. And uh, God's called you to live a miraculous life. But we need wisdom. And uh, it's not worldly wisdom, it's godly wisdom. God wants you to be wise with Him, wise in Him, and uh, to understand Him, understand His ways, and grow in wisdom as the years and the decades go by. So talking on wisdom that brings about the miraculous. And so I'll just say to you right now, where are your miracles? Where are your miracles? One more time. Where are your miracles? Because if you're growing wiser, then you're understanding that God is calling every one of us to live by faith. And if you're living by faith and you're applying the wisdom of God's Word, then you start to see the miraculous in ways that you have never seen before. So we see miracles in our church. We thank God for them every week. People getting touched, people getting healed, provision. We had two people pray for accommodation, house, apartment. And then within a week, they both got them to buy miraculously. So we're seeing these things regularly. But I want to encourage you, you're meant to be having your story. And that we love everybody else's story, but where's your miracle? So you need to know that God wants you to be having miracles and also for your children to be having miracles and experiencing those miracles. And by the way, mums and dads, your kids need your testimonies of God's miraculous work. Your kids need your testimonies of God's miraculous work. They need to hear from you, God did this because dad and I stepped out, you know, or mum and I stepped out, trusted God, put God first, this happened, paid a cost, sacrificed, whatever it is. And then we saw this miracle begin to happen. Your children need that because that will help them launch from uh, in their own lives and in their own calling, you will be helping them uh, to go forward when they hear your testimonies. So by the way, God's wisdom is often times the opposite of the world. Most time, it's the opposite. The world is about get all you can, do everything by how you look and by how you feel, not by what is true. The interesting world we live in now, the, everything that's lifted up, it doesn't have to be the truth. It just needs to look nice. Well, everybody, I can't stand that because I grew up in deception and everything that's valuable to me is truth. And so now they're trying to sell you this deceptive world. And I want to encourage you, don't buy into it. Don't buy into it, but say, Lord, help me to stay true. It's not about how you look. I couldn't care how you look. It's not about your, you know, how you dress. They're making it about how you dress and what you turn up to. Everybody wakes up the same in the morning, right? Hair everywhere, breath like a feral cat, you know, like it's, (laughs) everybody wakes up. Like, but you see people and it's like, they're always looking perfect. And I'm like, oh, come on, give us the truth. 
give us the reality. Give us the reality of how you really are, not paint some picture that's based on a feeling. Give us the truth, everybody, in Jesus' name. Now I've got some of you awake. That was, that was a helpful thing. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this, but the natural, the unbelieving man does not accept the things, the teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness. Look at this. They're absurd and illogical to him or her. And they are incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated. And he or she are unqualified to judge spiritual matters. So everybody, God wants you to be a spiritual person. You can come to church. You can come every week and just be in the flesh. You can just come to church completely as a natural person, but there's no understanding coming. There's no insight coming. There's no discernment coming. God wants us to be discerning and spiritually understanding. I'm I'm trying. Anyway, (laughs) And if you're natural, right? Which when I got saved, I, I was totally natural and then I became a Christian. And, and beforehand, people would tell me stuff, particularly my mother. And I think, what is she talking about? I have no idea what you are saying to me. It was like talking Chinese to me. I don't speak Mandarin, everybody, or Cantonese. So she's talking to me and I'm like, what are you saying? It was absurd and illogical, as that Scripture just said in the Amplified Bible, because I was spiritually dead. And I was not baptised in the Holy Spirit, nor born of the Holy Spirit. So but you need to be born of the Holy Spirit and baptised in the Holy Spirit. Husbands and wives, help each other. Help each other. Don't let your partner stay dead. <laughs> Let's say, come on, we've got to get going here. We need to be alive and discerning and walking in what God has so that we can give that to our children. Because, and here's dads, here's the thing, whatever the father is doing, this is the impact. Whatever the father does or doesn't do. So dad, if you're not active in the house of God, your impact is 90% on the children, where, you're, where the mother's is like 20, 15 to 20%. So if you're not active, it's almost impossible for your children to get into their Christian destiny, almost impossible, almost I hardly know, 42 years, church, been working with church all over the world. I hardly know children who are serving the Lord where dad has sat down and does nothing in the body of Christ. So you are the block to the destiny. Have some spiritual discernment. Start to get some and go, hang on a minute. I had to get up. Sue and I had to get up. You see Jordan preach Friday night. By the way, get that message on podcast. Jordan's message on being born again Friday night. That was so helpful. And so practical. And if you want to know what it is to be born again Christian, the podcast was so helpful. But Nathan's up here this morning. My boys would not be doing anything if I did what a number of dads here do. And in other churches and just sit down. But I talk spiritual. Oh, I'm going to get cheeky here. I find all the ones who sit down speak the most spiritual. And all the ones who are busy serving lose the spiritual chat. Interesting. Just throwing that out. You don't get this at every church, do you? I'm trying to help you understand. See, the, the natural people talk spiritually. The spiritual people act spiritually and don't talk much. They're not talking about end times. I'm not talking about the Antichrist. <laughs> I met people who, they're like so excited telling me, Pastor, I'm going to find out the Antichrist. I know who it's going to be. As if when they get to heaven, they're going to go, God, Jesus, did you know I found out who the Antichrist is? And the Lord's going to go, whoever knew. <laughs> the Lord doesn't care about that. He cares about occupied till I come. Yeah. Occupied till I come. Yeah. 
and set your, the generations up following with equity, which I'll talk about just in a minute. So, so everybody, you can be unspiritual and be, go to church every week. But I like what Proverbs 2 said, verse 3 to 5. It says, for if you cry for discernment, what does that mean? If, if you get humble and say, God, help me to understand what Pastor Jared's talking about, not just assume I understand. Help me, Lord, to understand what Your Word is saying here. It goes on and says, lift your voice for understanding. And if you seek discernment and wisdom like silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover, discover the knowledge of God. Oh my gosh, so the Bible's saying the way to wisdom, the way to understanding, the way to insight, the start of it is crying to God, Lord, give me that. Lord, help me with that. Lord, I am fleshy. I'm fleshy at the best of times. Anybody else? <laughs> Poor Pastor Jerry, there's about me and four others. We're all fleshy, right? So you've got to say, hey, God, show me. Speak to me. We've got to get a little bit of fight in our spirit. Can I encourage everybody at Global Heart Church? Global Heart Church, we need some grunt. We need a bit of oomph in it. Lord, I need to learn this. God, I need to understand this. I need to seek You. And Father, give me wisdom and insight. Don't assume you have it, by the way. Don't ever assume you have wisdom and insight. I was saying in the last service, just, you know, I smile because after 40 years, the amount of people who, when I'm doing some counselling or hanging your chat, the amount of people who said to me, oh, I know. It's right throughout some counselling, oh, I know. Oh, I know, Pastor Jared. Oh, I know, I know. I'm like, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I did not know how this person knows. I found this out two weeks ago. <laughs> and they're telling me as if, yeah, I've always known that. And, uh, and then had somebody the other day, not from our church here, counselling somewhere else. And they said to me the whole time through the conversation, and their life is currently not working at all. And I'm talking, and they said to me, oh, of course. Oh, of course. They said it to me about nine times. So at the end, I said, look, let's just stop right there. Stop saying, of course. I said, why are you doing that? Because I said, everything I'm talking to you about, you're doing none of it. Not one thing. But nine times you've said, of course. Everybody, wisdom is be quiet. Stop talking. And ask, what do I need to do? How do I get there? How do I get discerning? Listen and ask questions, but don't tell everybody you're wise or I know or of course, because there's a whole bunch of people who are working with you going, <laughs> I'm like, I need to go and have a cappuccino. I don't know what's going on here because I don't have all the wisdom, but I'm a long way from four decades ago. And let me tell you this, building God's house and carrying responsibility in God's house is the only way that you'll ever have any real wisdom. It's impossible. When I meet Christians who all over the place don't go to church, go to that church, they carry nothing. There is, it, look, I know already, my conversation with you will have to be at this level, not at this level, because there is no real insight until you're carrying. It's impossible. Last week we had Josh Greenwood here, who's leading seven campuses in South Australia's largest church. And... Uh, and my time with Josh on the Saturday was just fantastic. I was like, oh my gosh, Josh, he's you know, in his 40s, he's only young. But all the wisdom and discernment he had was just incredible. So I was like, this has been a great day talking to you.
because of the insight and discernment that was flowing. And by the way, I didn't say, I know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I know, Josh, of course. 60, you're only, whatever. But I was listening to him going, this guy's on it. He's carried it. He's applied it. He's not talking all the religious stuff. He's actually being a very spiritual man. And now the insight and discernment he brought to me was invaluable. I like those people. Make them your friends. I plan to invite him back. Just have the afternoon together again because of the insight. Do you understand what I'm saying? Think about your friends because you're only going where your friends are going. So you have to reach, get people around you who are like, wow, they're reaching for God. They're crying out, Proverbs 2, verse 3 to 5, for discernment. They're lifting their voice for understanding. They're searching for the hidden treasures of the kingdom. And then Daniel, the book of Daniel says in chapter 5 that Daniel had illumination, insight and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. My gosh, well, we know it's the wisdom of God. But let's have that. We've got insight about this. Why is this happening in my family? What do I need to do to see the miracles in my life? What do I need to do, Lord, to have miraculous in my home, in my, through my children? What do we need to do here? What do we need to change? What do we need to give? What do we need to sow? What do I need to... So too many Christians have what looks like God, but it's the result of their own efforts. And so what we have many times in our lives is lives that are filled with Ishmael's when God wanted Isaac's. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Ishmael was when Abraham and Sarah didn't really believe God's promise. And Sarah says, hey, here's my maidservant, Hagar, go and have a baby with her and let's fulfill the promise. Where God said, no, no, even though you're both 100, uh, I'm about to supercharge <laughs> Abraham. And he's going he's gonna to give you a seed that's going to bring your body alive, Sarah, and you're going to give birth near 100 to Isaac, the son of promise by faith. Everybody, we're meant to be having sons of promise, miracles. This is the God promise. This is my efforts. This is the God promise. This is my efforts. God wants you to have Isaacs because Ishmael's end up causing a lot of conflict when God wants you to have blessing and favour and going, hang on, I did what God asked me to do and that has produced this in my life in Jesus' name. You know, there's some miracle women in the, in the Word of God. And uh, did you know that? Some great, what we used to say? God chicks, we used to say. But there's some great women of God who took God's route when they wanted to take their own route. How, ma how many times have you taken God's route when you wanted to take yours? How many times have you taken God's route when it's absolutely costly, sweaty, painful, difficult, want to run, want to bolt, want to bail, want to whatever. And yet you said, no, I'm going to choose God's route. Well, there's one lady here I'm going to talk about right now and her name's Ruth, whose name means friendship. And the book of Ruth, outstanding story of a great woman of God, a great woman of faith and the choices she made in order to move into the miraculous in her life. Wisdom that brings about the miraculous she was about to enter into the miraculous as she gleaned wisdom from God in what she should do in great difficulty. In Ruth chapter 1, it says, It came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Wow. 
I love how God does His best work in famines. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of the two sons were Marlon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem in Judah. So they entered the land of Moab, remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with the two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Marlon and Chilion, her sons also died. And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And she says to her Moabite daughter-in-laws, return, go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I were even to have a husband tonight or or also give birth to sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is much more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. Oh my gosh. So she tells her daughter-in-laws after losing a husband, her two sons, grown-up sons, she's lost them. She's now full of bitterness and she just can see no way forward. And she says to her daughter-in-laws, go, go and leave go back to your people, go and get a husband. I'm basically finished. And basically her uh, perception has gone, her perspective is out. Everybody be careful of judging your perspective too soon. Be careful of coming to conclusions before time. You can be 60 and your life can change. You can be 70 and your life can change. You can be 80 and your life can change. Listen, it's all about developing a sweet attitude in the midst of difficulty. It's will we develop a sweet attitude or will we not? And you can come to church expecting miracles with a bitter attitude, but we block God out. And so Sue and I have had to say, Lord, through the challenges of life and ministry, Lord, help us to get better and not get bitter. And so right now she's lost perspective and she's actually, forget it, leave me, just go. Uh, I'm just full of bitterness. I'm acquainted with bitterness. Some of you might be there right now. But here's what I discovered. What we do in those moments impacts destiny for us and for others. When you're in the most bitter moment, the most difficult moment, the moment where you, what is required is a change of attitude and what selflessness is required, selfishness needs to go. What we do in those moments is key to what's gonna happen in our life and in our children's lives in Jesus' Name. And so Ruth, we're going to read on in the story, but Ruth chooses active humility. Active humility. And the Bible says that humility, which is really the surrendering of yourself to God, laying down your life, your opinions. And it says the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honour and life. So the Bible says when you have a fear, really the best way of saying that word is awe and reverence for who He is. When you have awe and reverence for God, then the Bible says there are riches and honour and life coming to you. And the Bible also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why now we've got the world counselling so many people and coming up with things on morality and sex and everything else. And I'm like, you need to sit down. I'm like, you need to seriously take a seat. Whoever's saying it, right? I watch something, I'm like, government person, person in the media. I'm like, take a seat. You got nothing to say. There's no discernment there. There's no insight there because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you have a reverence and awe for God, suddenly you hear somebody talk and you're like, oh my gosh, that was powerful. Oh my gosh, that was, that was, that was strong. That was truth. That was, there's light there. And so Ruth, one of the daughter-in-laws, she doesn't realise, but the action she's about to take are the prelude to generational greatness. Yeah. 
She's about to take actions and they are the prelude to generational greatness. If you think that you can have generational greatness by doing nothing, you're wrong. You have got to take action. And I just think now like, you know, our boys doing what they're doing. They, if I sat down years ago, they would be doing nothing. They'd be dead to God. They might go to church off their own bat somewhere, but they would have no insight at all. But soon I had to take actions. And this is not about us, but I'm just letting you know, it was, it's challenging. It's not an easy thing. So you are, listen to this, you are either leaving equity for your children in the kingdom or iniquity. You're either leaving equity or iniquity. Sue and I both came from broken homes. There was abuse, neglect, uh, addictions. There was mental illness. There was depression. There was everything. We have it generationally going back in our families on both sides. So we had to make a decision. Are we gonna leave equity for the boys or iniquity? What's that? Generational sin, generational brokenness, generational... Um, no understanding of God or His house? Or are we gonna make the changes necessary? I discovered a lot of parents love their children loving them. Love me, so I'll do anything that makes you love me. But they don't actually love their children enough to do what it takes to produce spiritual equity. I love you loving me, but I don't love you enough to do what it takes to produce spiritual equity. So soon I had to go, right, Lord, help us, grace us to get up, start serving what was uh, Penrith Fellowship Centre, take the bin out, serve at youth, welcome people to church, do this, do that, do that. I was working three jobs, go then do this. Then soon I were in church, Hills, doing new Christians, doing kids, who's doing kids. We're, about, we're serving, we're at, welcome people to church. We're like, Lord, help us now to break out of that. Even though we wanna be selfish because we've had not much sown into us, Lord, help us now to give. And as we did, we didn't realise that God was saying, I'll take that. I'll take that in your bitter valley. And in your bitter valley, I'm gonna begin to bring about things in your children's lives in Jesus' Name. And so we today thank God that, you know, there's still areas we have to say, Lord, take that from our past generations. But on the whole, we made that decision, but then we had to get active as Ruth gets active because it would be the prelude to generational greatness. It doesn't happen because you wish for it. It happens because you get up and respond to God. So in verse 14, it says that the two girls raised their voices, the daughter-in-laws. Their mother-in-law said, go. They weep again. Then Oprah went off and became a TV star with her own national syndication. It was fantastic. Kissed her mother-in-law and left. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, listen to this. She said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, Naomi said, and her gods return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth, but Ruth, but you said, do not plead with me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you sleep, I'll sleep. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. What, what active honour, what active sacrifice Ruth is honouring up, she's honouring down, she's honouring all around. Everybody bring honour to what you're doing. She has, she's in a bitter situation. She has a bitter mother-in-law. Naomi says, actually change my name, call me Mara, because I'm just full of bitterness. Her perspective is completely gone. But in the middle of it, she says, I'm gonna stay with you because God's telling me to. I'm gonna stay with you in the middle of this bitter season, Everything is gone. I've got you in my ear, but I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna trust God. 
Everybody, danger lurks when humans' voices get louder than God's. Danger lurks, lurks for destiny. Do you realise that? We need to, as Christians, realise, hang on, human voices are not God's voice. We need to say, Lord, what does Your Word say? And base every decision you make on the Word of God. And also do have wisdom in people who've walked ahead, get round those. It's amazing how we will find counsel of people who are doing exactly what we're doing, which is usually not much. And we find them and we get, what is it? Comfort in our counsellors. You need to get around people who are saying, you know what, God is speaking to me. And how do you know it's God? It is usually always sacrificial. Every time. God will say, give me that attitude. Give me that right now. And then God will say, actually now activate this level of service. So the Bible says, so they both went on until they came to Bethlehem. Naomi says, as I said, she's like, why has God afflicted me? By the way, she's bitter and now she thinks God's done it to her. You need to know God is not setting out to do anything to you. God doesn't send sickness. God is not saying, hey, I'm gonna send you that difficulty. God is not gonna do that. God gave us free will. Free will to God is sacred. That's why sometimes I'm like, Lord, why did you let that human do that? And he said to me, Jared, I gave them free will. It's sacred. But he's reminding us that, you know, uh, we are not to get caught up in what people are doing or people's voices, but get caught up in God's voice in Jesus' Name. And so right now, Naomi thinks God's done it to her. Everybody, God hasn't done it to you. Maybe life has done it. Maybe this has happened. And that's why the Bible tells us, go to God. Because we will all have reasons to be bitter and to be upset, but they can destroy us. They can dis- Maybe they bypass you being destroyed, but destroy your children. Destroy your grandchildren. What is in us, we give, we pass on. So we're gonna say, Lord, help me to give it to you. Ruth looks beyond the failings of those around her. She looks beyond her current circumstances. Reminding us, don't judge the difficult patch in your life. Though God has not sent it, the difficult patch may be the very thing that God works to use to build your life. I like that Scripture. It says, you know, uh, let perseverance have its perfect way. And it goes on and says, you know, that let uh, character build hope. Many people say they don't feel any hope. Well, hope came after the character was built. And character is the, the, you know, the gym workout for our inner life, our motives. God says, why do you do what you do? Why are you doing that? Why are you there? Why do you say that? Everything with God is motives. And so Ruth, right, she's like, I gotta keep, stay alive. I gotta keep my mother-in-law alive. She's, she's lost the plot. She's bitter, she's twisted. And so she's really upset. So Ruth, who's this beautiful young girl, goes and she gets behind the harvesters, behind the reapers, and she decides, look, this is as good as it gets. I'll just get the leftovers after they've gone through and I'll bag it up, take it home and we can make a meal out of it. So she's behind the harvesters, behind the reapers, picking up all the scraps, the leftovers, the Bible says here in Ruth 2, 3. And so she's in the field, picking them all up, serving her mother-in-law, keeping them both alive. And then the Bible says the land she was on just happened to be the land of Boaz, who the Bible really is teaching us is our kinsman redeemer. He's representing the Lord to us, but she's actually on His land. She doesn't even know she stumbled onto it. And here she is just picking up leftovers, being faithful, being loyal. And then Boaz notices her. And Boaz is like, who is this lovely looking young girl picking up leftovers? 
And what is she doing that for? And why is that happening? And so she draws His attention. By the way, Boaz means strength. Though she came weak and broken, she was in a place where God would strengthen her for her future destiny. You might come weak and broken to what God has placed in your life. He says, go there. And you're like, oh God, I can't do it. And then God says, hey, go in there. Go and do what I've asked you to do. Do it with humility. Do it with serving heart. And then God's like, I'm gonna strengthen you. So then she gets instruction, go wash yourself, put on your best clothes, anoint yourself. She goes and does that. And then she goes in and basically Boaz is now captivated by her, her heart, her spirit. And the Bible tells us that in verse 13 of chapter three, that Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he had relations with her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, look, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today and may His Name become famous in Israel. May He also be the one who restores your life, sustains you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. So in her place of leftovers and in a bitter field and in dryness, everybody, that's where the call of God is. She discovers Boaz more like God knows about her from the beginning, but she positioned herself as a servant and God's like, wow, if you can be little, then you can be great. Anybody in the kingdom, the way up in the kingdom is the way down. We don't wanna go down, we only wanna go up. And so she takes that position and Boaz, actually the Bible tells us was a man of great wealth, great power. He became her provider and her protector. Isn't that just like the Lord? He represents the Lord, that when we're serving the Lord, though it's bitter, though it's dry, though it's leftovers, God says, hey, I'll take care of you and I'll be your provider, your protector. And we're seeing that in our own ministry here, that it's when you're doing what God asks you to do, though it's difficult, God will bless. The Bible tells us that the mother-in-law Naomi took the baby that was born, laid him in her lap in verse 16. She became his nurse and the neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of the greatest king that Israel ever had, King David. Ruth, who started out in a field with leftovers, surrounded by pain and bitterness, became the great grandmother of Israel's greatest king. The way up in God, everybody, is the way down. You know, I'm just thinking too, like I just thought again as we're heading to Africa. You know, when I first went to Africa, first trip, 2006, was going there to see the 100, 150 children we sponsored here from Global Heart Church. I was going there one time. I was so tired before I went on that trip, got on the trip, experienced uh, what I experienced in Rwanda and what the people had been through. And I was just in a bit of an emotional wreck, to be honest. But by the way, let me just say this. The Tutsi people of Rwanda have taught me more than any other people on planet Earth. There is not another people who come close to that, those people. So Justin, who's our, the son God gave us, number four, he, what he and his family who survived the genocide have taught me, plus others in Rwanda, is beyond priceless. There's nothing that you can come near to what they have taught me about life, what's important, what's valuable. So the Tutsi people have taught me more than any people on earth. They should actually be counselling the word, world because they lost 70% of their people. 70, 70, not 7, 70. And yet today they continue to work to forgive them, to move them back into their village. To And even today have their children marrying the children of the people who perpetrated such an evil genocide. But when I was there and I was coming home and I'm getting on the plane, I was like, wow, went there one time, that's it. I will, you know, moving along. 
I said that to God once about Kiev and the Ukraine as well. One time going there, he went there 19 times. The Lord is persistent when He wants you to do something. So anyway, we're on the plane. Then one white woman got on the plane and I ended up chatting with her. She ended up uh, on that plane. She's from Australia. She ended up telling me she's serving people in Uganda in different parts. She was raising money to give women microfinances finances to start building, uh, sorry, businesses. And she was doing so much. She was training people with uh, home economics. She was how to uh, sew and do everything at a higher level. Oh my gosh, she was an amazing woman. And I said to her, what church you go to? And are you a Christian? And she said no to both. And I was like, what? I said, are you doing this off your own bat? She said, yeah. I said, you're not a Christian? No. Do you go to church? No. And, uh, and I was like so shocked. And I remember being at Johannesburg Airport and saying to the Lord, Lord, very smart putting her on the plane so I could talk to her. That was really good. You are smart. And the Lord said to me, Jared, I did not put you on the plane for her. I put her on the plane for you. Now I know that was God because I would never think that to say that to me because I was before that for five minutes patting myself on the back. Well done. And God said, no, no, I put it on the plane for you. And here's what God said to me, everybody. Here's again, what God, how God calls us to real ministry. God said to me, Jared, look what she does for me. And she doesn't know me, but you know me. Look what she does for me and she doesn't even know me, but you know me. Look what she does for God, everybody. And she doesn't know Him. Listen, but you know Him. But you know Him. So God said to me, I want, need you to make a change. So that went on for the next, how many, 10 years after that? So that God said to me, true Christianity, James 1.27, true Christianity is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So if there's true Christianity, there can be untrue Christianity, right? So there's some things that we and other churches may be doing that God goes, hey, it's nice, but it's actually not true. It's good, but it's not God. <clears throat> we need to do what's God. So anyway, so I set out, we're going to serve the children. We're going to serve the widows. And I was going back to Rwanda, going to Rwanda, going to Rwanda, then going to Uganda with Watoto, then going to Zambia. And I used to have, all my friends were all moving to America. And they're like, why don't you come to America? Why don't you come work with me? Why don't you come and do this? Why don't you come and do that? Why don't you come and do that? And I'm like, because God never said to me, go to that field. He said to me, go to this field. Go to that field. And today, you know, I love Africa. I love our... All of our Africans in our church family here. I love Zambia, I love Rwanda. But as I went back and as I told you, the church people of Rwanda taught me so much, incredible, priceless, without price. But then as the years went by, we're serving other children and who, God is so hilarious because then I'm saying to Sue as big years ago by, we now got 200 children, 300 children, 400 children, 500 children, we're sponsoring from here. And I'm saying to Sue, the first little boy, Justin, who never spoke English, he spoke French in Kenyawandan. And I'm saying to Sue, this boy's anointed to us. And I remember Sue saying to me, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. He's anointed to you and me. So he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I just knew as I'm serving in the fields, serving in the fields, serving the children, raising more money, raising more support, helping, helping, helping. And as the years go by, then he hits 17, gets English down to a reasonable degree. And I said, so we need to move him to a house at 19. Move Justin to a house at 19. And then I'm like, what am I doing? So he goes, what are we doing? I said, I don't know. We're doing what God told us, which is give him an opportunity. And then with Justin, right, as the years go by, the pandemic hits, he's now 25. He went off to Zambia to help out. He's supposed to stay a couple of years, stayed longer than that. And then Liam and Lisa get grounded here with the pandemic and I have to ring just. And it's so God and it's so supernatural and it's so the Bible and it's so the story of doing things that we think is not so important, but God thinks is totally important. So I ring Justin, he's 25 and go, Just, you're gonna be the pastor of 500 people for the next two years. He's like, he just said to me straight out, okay, Dad, 
because Liam and Lisa can't return. So that little boy who I'm saying to this kid, God was giving me discernment when he's a child to say he's the one. He became our pastor for two years, did a fantastic job. He just bought the land for us in Zambia, which was on the market for $1.2 million US before the pandemic. They dropped it to 800,000. And then the uh, Chinese uh, corporation offered 600,000. This guy had just put it on, it was moving quickly. And I said to Justin, we need to get land. Take a couple of the guys from church there with you, get some land. We need land in Lusaka that reaches every economic group. And it needs to be big enough to one day have a 2000 seat auditorium. And he goes to me again, Okay, Dad. He goes out, checks out four or five properties, finds this property, and the man says to him, what do you want the land for to Justin? Justin goes, we want it for church for Jesus. He goes, great, I'm a Catholic, same Jesus. That's good. And then he says to Justin, what do you want to offer me? And then he says, hang on a minute, you're not Zambian to Justin. And Justin goes, no, I'm from Rwanda. And he goes, Rwanda. And the man's about 70. He owns the property and he's like, oh my gosh, my heart breaks for your people. What you went through with the genocide. He goes, where's your grandparents? And Justin said, they murdered three of them. I've never seen them. They burnt everything that they had. They left one of my grandfather. He suffered the, his children being murdered in front of him. And they said, stay alive and remember it. He died at 92. So the man's like, oh, it's so terrible. And then he walks up and he's really upset. And he's saying, my boy, my boy, that's so sad. I'm a grandfather, I can't believe that. And then Justin knows, because he's got a business side to him, I'm on a win here. So Justin lowers his price. Smart boy. And then the man says, okay, my son, what, what do you want to give me? The Chinese is offering me 600,000 cash today. Justin says, it was on at 1.2 million. I want to give you 300,000, sir. And the man's like, That's my boy, what are you talking about? He goes, it's for Jesus, it's for church for him. And then the man goes, oh my gosh, you're from Rwanda. Oh, your grandparents. Oh, he's like, he's like, you got me, right? So then he says, "What do you want to give me again?" And Justin goes, three hundred thousand. He goes, "All right, my son, you can have the land." Justin's serving us when nothing's happening. Why am I serving this? funny Australian pastor. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? What's going on? And then I'm serving Rwanda. You're serving Rwanda. You're serving the children. Why are we doing it? And then God goes, yeah, good idea. Because I'm about to save you $900,000. I'm about to position you in the best land. And it's going to come from the children that you served in the field that you went back to. As we went back to the field and served more children, God goes, I'll pay for that. Now, since then, I want to tell you that we've saved a lot more money. And then just has been involved in helping us with a lot of the business people with our Heart for the House offering, incredibly involved. How did that happen? In the field. <laughs> Lord, this doesn't look like much at the moment. God says, don't worry about that. Down there, it's gonna be a lot. Everybody, down there, it's gonna be a lot. Down there, it's gonna be a lot. I wanna encourage everybody right now. God's got great miracles for you and you're gonna impact generations, but you gotta get up active in humility. Husbands and wives, help each other not to take the apple of unforgiveness. Don't bite it, Eve. Don't bite bitterness. Don't bite cynicism. Put the apple down, honey. Wives, tell your husband, put that apple down. Stop judging. You're killing our generation. Put the apple down, Adam. And say, Lord, help us to get a sweet heart and a sweet attitude and to sow and to serve Ruth, even when it's looked like nothing is happening. Help us to trust You, God, 
because Father, You have a Boaz coming. Thank You, Lord. Let my children serve You. Let my grandchildren serve You. Let my great-grandchildren serve You. Help me, Lord. Grace me, God, to get up and get active because God wants miracles through You. Come on, God wants miracles through You. Not just through other people. God wants miracles through you and through your children. But all the dads, number one, 90% impact. Get up in Jesus' Name. Come on, can we stand up in Jesus' Name while the dads get up in Jesus' Name? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.